You're listening to WCT.FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station. And good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. You are listening to The Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM. Also on 101.7 FM, Columbia Talk in Columbia, South Carolina. We're also on CastBox, Spotify, TuneIn, and everywhere else you find uh, podcast radio. Super! <laughs> you yeah, there, buddy? Everywhere else. Everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> How you doing, Chip? Oh, I'm doing great, buddy. You know, this is one of those days I actually ate before coming on, so I'm pumped up, you know. I got my Red Bull going. And uh, it's also one of these days where we have a very special guest, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. not absolutely certain of that yet. Uh, but if he does show up, trust us, uh, really, really super good guest. Uh, meantime, though, uh, we have Tim Roxbury with us. Now, Tim <laughs> has been hosting one of the best shows on radio uh, for a minimum of six years, and mm-hmm. it's now become a tremendous hit around the world, and he's right. Podcasts available everywhere. Proud to be on WCETFM at LateNightInTheMidlands.com and on the Paranormal Radio app via TalkStream Live and, you know, anywhere podcasts are available, and I mean anywhere. I see this guy everywhere, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he lurks in every podcast, you know, (laughs) site in the world. But he's got a background, you know, where he was attuned to spirit at a very young age. You know, he had a friend who was uh, kind of uh, pertaining more to witchcraft, which kind of changed the way that he sees the world. And there are so many things about Tim Roxbury that are amazing. He has a lot of gifts, and he's got a lot of sensitivities. He understands all these realms, and he understands physics even more than I do, you know. And he's intrigued by articles that change the world. So uh, we have a very special guest in Tim Roxbury. We We also have a guy named Chip Reichenthal, uh, who uh, next month will be his 40th year looking into these realms, uh, which started by a visitation by his childhood best friend at the moment of that best friend's death and changed the way he saw the world because that's not what death was to anybody that I talked to. Uh, Nobody in my neighborhood, nobody in my school, couldn't talk to my parents about it, couldn't talk to my church about it, couldn't couldn't talk to anybody about it. So we had to find answers through kind of an underground tunnel, if you will, you know, uh, mediums and psychics and uh, paranormalists and people that had UFO or extraterrestrial encounter experiences, and they couldn't talk about it either, you know. And throughout these 40 years, you get to see who the genuine ones are, you know, who the ones that are only in it for fame or recognition are, who the ones that are only in it to make themselves more interesting are, 
and who the real ones are, mm-hmm. you know. And Timmy has been through the same thing because he ran a paranormal team, you know, in, in beautiful Butler County, Pennsylvania. Came across a lot of really neat things, you know. So it's kind of like a Chase and Sanborn type of thing. Well, what Mr. Chase didn't know about coffee, Mr. Sanborn <laughs> did, and together they made the best cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the supernatural realm here. That is, uh, at least until our possible guest shows up, who we have to feature today with the greatest honor, because these guys know their stuff and are here to change the world for the better. Because ultimately, we see a lot of people automatically see these experiences as negative because that's part of their belief system or what they've been told, but it's not necessarily true. In fact, the negative is a minority in the overall of these realms. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the message that we're here to bring also. Yep. You don't have to be afraid of everything you can't see, you know. It's you not all. It's just, not all fear and loathing, as 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 you say on kindness beyond a wheelchair. Right, fear, fear and loathing. Uh, you know, because uh, in the <clears throat> entertainment industry, uh, you know, if you want to get something on camera, you kind of have to, you know, anger it. <laughs> right. And and that's not the method to At least use that's proper what, investigations. Yeah. You know, because you know they go there. And they, they they get these things all fired up and then they leave. Mm-hmm. So who's ever a victim of these things is more a victim of these things after those shows are over, you know. Except I I will say one thing, Tim. Uh, one show that I really particularly like is the Dead Files. And, oh, speaking, and, you know, speaking, speaking of, of the Dead Files, you can say it. Yeah, speaking of Dead Files, we uh, we have Steve Shabrasi. Uh, not Steve Ross. Steve Deshavi. Yeah, Steve Deshavi yeah, <laughs> coming on the show. And, yeah, uh, August, August 15th. Yeah, August 15th, yeah. Yeah. And speaking and, of guests, Chip, our, our scheduled guest will be on here in about five minutes. Excellent. Okay. So, yeah, and I've got a, I've got a bio for him um, that is uh, – it's long, and I'll probably read the whole thing. <laughs> the rest of the time he can talk. But I've known this guy – I mean, I think our paths have crossed, but I'm not positive because I've met a lot of people. But I know a lot of people that know him. And everybody that I know that knows him loves him. So it's our opportunity to do that if and when he comes on. And we'll announce the name then, you know. But in the meantime, you kind of know who you're dealing with is, is people who are interviewing these phenomenal guests that Tim Roxbury finds. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a magical thing, you know. I do have my own show, selfless uh, uh, self promotion here, Mondays from seven to nine p.m. right here on this very network called Kindness Beyond the Veil, where we indeed take a, a a kinder look at the paranormal and metaphysical and cryptozoological, uh, extraterrestrial, the ascension worlds, the alternative healing worlds, the, the witchcraft, supernatural. Um, because there is, there are things that occur that are not all fear and loathing. There are things that occur that are benevolent, you know, or, or teach us something and take fears away from us the more we understand it. Because we don't look at these things through a lens of fear. We look at these things through a lens of fascination. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you know, then you get more genuine information. And we are ever curious, Tim and I, uh, about these marvelous people 
that Tim has the gift of bringing here. You know, I I get to honor my personal heroes on on Mondays every week, mm-hmm. and then I come on the show as a co-host, and although I'm a very talkative one, <laughs> <laughs> and and meet the coolest people because Tim finds them. I don't know where he finds them from. You know, I mean, I have a job where I have to find people too. <laughs> but he just finds these really cool people. I don't know how he does it. It's this magic he has. So it's good to be a part of this. It's good to have you. You're 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 a great co-host. Well, thank you, man. And you're a magnificent host. And also, Tim produces my show on Mondays from seven to nine p.m. called Kindness Beyond the Bail with Chip Reichenthal. And you know, he's he's always uh, does the a phenomenal job. Thing about radio is Murphy's Law loves us. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> anything can... that can go wrong will go wrong. And the show must go on, you know. And most of it, you know, Timmy's got to do all the really hard work. You know, <laughs> it's that multitask thing over here, man. Yeah, right. Because Chip doesn't do that. Chippy doesn't multitask, man. Chip just wants to purely focus on, you know, whoever I, I have the honor to have. And it's harder. It, it's hard with one computer and one monitor here. I wish I had a couple of monitors so I could put one screen on each. But <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, I gotta, that, you know. I think that morning. day will come. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they've got, you know, uh, on like eBay, you know, they've got these monitors that have been what uh, rebuilt or whatever the mm. word for that is. But I like those things, you know. I've gotten TVs that are the rebuilt ones, you know, that somebody at the store bought and returned it because something was wrong with it. So they right. had to take a very specific look at that particular TV. And they take a really, really hard look at that TV. So you know that that TV has probably been uh, attended more than any TV that, that is not. We Our guest is here, Chip. Ah, ha, ha. All right. Well, that's, uh, you know, and we're honored to have him. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell us who our guest is, and then I'll read the bio. Uh, our guest is the great Eric Altman. Ah, so, the great so Eric Altman, yeah, and we do uh, welcome Eric Altman to Supernatural Realm. Eric, the, the my name is Chip Reichenthal. I'm the co-host here. I've known about you for a long time. I've been in the realms for a long time, and everybody that I know that knows you loves you. I just wanted to say that. Um, so you can say hello, and then we'll read your bio because I've got a long bio for you. <laughs> All right, let me let me just say something real quick. First, I apologize, guys, for being late. I thought it was from eight to ten, not seven to nine. So, but I'm here, and and let me correct you, Tim. Um, I'm not the great Eric Altman. I'm just the Eric Altman. <laughs> there is no such as such thing as the great Eric Altman. But I'm I'm really happy to be with you guys tonight. Thanks for asking me to join you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a real honor to have you. And I I will say, uh, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll be. It's it's an impropriety, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm going to correct you because Timmy's right. Uh, because everybody that I you because you've got humility, you know, uh, well, that's you. That, that's something that we've had, you know, in all the time that we've been in the these realms here. But I will say, I mean, with with uh, all honesty, that everybody that I know that knows you absolutely raves about you. 
You oh, know? that's that's very kind of you to say, but yeah, there's nothing rave worthy about here. I'm just as my I tell my buddies, I'm only Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. your work is from your heart. You know, it's a passion for you, I and try. you take that passion and you and you teach others. And, you know, there's some things that you work with that are, uh, at least in my eyes, very complicated. You know, the cryptozoology, for example, uh, is, is something that you have done more to teach others than most people have because you have the passion for it and you have the heart for it. And, and we, you know, we have to honor that. Well, I, I, that's very kind of you to say thank you. I, I just do the best that I can with what God's uh, blessed me with. <laughs> right. And, and it becomes our path, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Tim. You know, I'm sure he's got some questions for you first. But, but you know, we just had to say for the record that, you know, we've known about you for a long time. And we always hear good things from people that we really trust and honor who are yeah. also, you know, in heart, uh, hum humble, you know. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Timmy, I'll let you go, brother. Okay. I, I guess my first question, Eric, is what, what got you into the supernatural, Bigfoot, paranormal? Um, I grew up with a fascination with um, monsters, monster movies and horror movies and um, UFOs and all that stuff. I was always fascinated in the strange and unusual. And I grew up in a little town called Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was growing up, there was all that stuff constantly in the news, in, either in the newspaper or on the local news. Um, there was always stories of people seeing UFOs or having Bigfoot experiences. And, and I was very blessed and fortunate to, to grow up with having uh, a fantastic researcher by the name of Stan Gordon, mm -hmm. who who lived in the same hometown I did. So it was just kind of natural for me to, to you know, latch onto that and latch onto his work and start following what he does. And uh, from that point, I began educating myself. I think really what the catalyst for me to get involved with Bigfoot was seeing a couple of films that were put out in the early 1970s, uh, Legend of Boggy Creek and Creature from Black Lake. And they kind of um, changed my perspective on monsters being something that couldn't possibly exist to actually existing. And I spent a lot of my younger years, my from 10 years old, all through my teen years, even up into my mid-20s, educating myself, reading books, following work of others, um, watching documentaries on, on TV whenever they came on, just really educating myself, learning about the history of the pheno different phenomena. It's not just wanting to go out and, and actually participate and, and look for answers. I wanted to learn as much as I could before I, I did that. And I think that's very crucial for anybody who gets into the field is to educate yourself first and foremost before jumping in with both feet. Awesome. You guys uh, just had an event recently, uh, like a camping-type Bigfoot hunt event. How did that go for you? Oh, it was phenomenal. Uh, it was our third event. It's called the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure. And for many years, um, from going back to 1999 to about 2011, I organized and hosted what was known as the East Coast Bigfoot Conference. And it was a conference, an annual conference every year that was held in Jeanette, Pennsylvania, and we'd had guest speakers and we had um, vendors and displays and stuff like that to try to educate the public about the subject, especially here in southwestern PA. And moving into uh, the, the mid-2015-16, 
um, I, I began to realize that there were Bigfoot conferences popping up everywhere. There were paranormal conferences popping up everywhere. And they were all these always indoors. And it really didn't give folks much of a chance to get hands-on and, and to actually interact with the, the speakers or, or maybe go on a, a hike looking for Bigfoot evidence or to see what, how, what researchers were doing, what tools they were using, and maybe how to cast the footprint. So I came up with the idea of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure to give folks an idea of, of how to do the, these things. Um, they, they had the opportunity to not only meet speakers and hear speakers talk, but these weren't like well, well-known people. These were local researchers who were just you know out there doing their thing. And they, they got to listen to the speakers. They got to see workshops um, and, and participate in workshops, learning how to make a cast, learning what tools to use, learning how to properly collect evidence. And um, give them, it gave them a chance to also go out on the evenings of the event um, on night hikes with uh, those researchers, those speakers, and, and whatnot. And the whole while, we were educating the public. We were raising money for uh, local charities in the Fayette County area. So we wanted to kind of give back to the uh, the county itself. You know, we didn't want to make a profit off of it, obviously. We were hoping to give back to the county and, and kind of as a way to say thank you for letting us do it out there in, in, in the county and whatnot and, and to be able to educate. So it, it went really well. This was our third event. Um, it was probably the biggest of the three events that we've held so far. Um, I, I don't want to guess how many people came through the door. I know we sold over 600 tickets for the wow. event, but there's estimates. We've had over a thousand people come through the, uh, the event the whole weekend from uh, May, uh, May 31st through June 2nd. So we had a really, really successful weekend and we were able to raise $3,000 for the local charities. That's incredible. Yeah, we were very happy with it, and we had a great attendance. We had a lot of positive feedback. Um, a lot of folks really seemed to enjoy themselves, so much to the point that I was actually going to hang up doing conference uh, organizing because I've done it for such a long time, but there was such an overwhelming demand um, for the event, and people had such a great time that we're going to hold it again in 2021. So we'll have uh, information coming out next year about the next one. That's awesome. I'll have to go to the next one for sure. Yeah, road trip in 2021, Timmy. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm closer than you are, Chip. Yes, you are. Yeah, it's like a walk for you. Yeah, Yeah, it's like an hour. (laughs) Chip, you have a question for Eric? I got a couple of weird ones, actually. You know, Uh, the weirder the better. Yeah, um, I'm going to start with an article I read just uh, within the last week. Okay. uh, That just, I don't know, it just. I, it, it just felt wrong. You know, you read these articles about stuff they find on Mars or the moon and, and you look at it and you say something about that just is wrong. It doesn't make sense. They present it as news, but something in your gut says no. And this article said that they actually found a, a hair uh, from a Bigfoot and they did a genetic test on the hair and they found that it was in the deer line. And, you know, to me, a that makes no sense. You know, I think I would have heard more about that hair by now, you know, in the first place. And in the second place, it just didn't make sense. Uh, had, have you heard about or read that article and does it, uh, resonate with you or do you, uh, would you feel kind of something wrong is about that? Like I do. Well, that actually happened in the, uh, mid 1970s, uh, long-term researcher, Peter Byrne, He's known as one of the four horsemen, one of the four originators of Bigfoot research. He submitted that to the FBI for testing. He worked at 
at the Dalles in Oregon, and they had the Bigfoot Project. Um, it was a Bigfoot Information Center, and they collected hair. He he's a, he's a big game hunter. Was a big game hunter, and he hunted all over the world. And he was very familiar with all types of animal hair and fur. And he felt that this hair was something that they couldn't identify. It was something out of his expertise. And he sent it off to the FBI. And, of course, they, in turn, examined the hair and said it came from a deer. And um, they gave him that information, which, of course, Peter disagreed with. But that that story is very, very old. I, I knew about that a long, long time ago. And why it's just now making the news is beyond me. But right. the actual the actual release of that information was, was given back in the 70s to Peter, and that information, you know, he received a letter, and you probably saw in the article they actually had photocopies of the letter that was sent back to Peter telling him it was a deer. But um, it's very possible. Now, I'm making an assumption, of course. I don't know this for a fact. We like assumptions here because you've had (laughs) conferences, and we can trust your assumptions even. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm making an assumption that there had to be some kind of cover-up because back then in the 70s, Bigfoot was a huge, huge thing where sure. it was being it was being covered by all the media outlets, um, a lot of press. Um, it was a, it was the rage back in the 1970s, and I'm assuming that it was a cover up by the FBI because they didn't want panic. Mm. Um, they didn't want right, um, right. you know people to go crazy and start running around the woods with guns trying to hunt and kill these things. Plus, they were probably trying to protect habitat in the logging industry. Because yeah. back then there was a lot of money being put into the logging industry. It's a billion-dollar industry, and they, and they probably foresaw if they said yes, it was a Bigfoot hair that uh, that might have caused damage to the logging industry, the outdoor wildlife industry. It would cause panic and chaos, and right, probably right. would have caused a lot of complications. Just like the, so, the UFO uh, stuff, right? You know, mm-hmm. the the whole the project, uh, what it was at Blue Book, you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you see, that answer makes sense to me, and I thank you for that. And I will be candid and say my wife watches more Bigfoot shows than I do, <laughs> you know. And she's got this theory. She she may come in to ask a question, and it may be the same question. So if she does that, forgive me for the redundance. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> but, it's all good. But because she watches all these shows, she sees similarities that when people are just hanging out, having a campfire, drinking beer, you know, that's when the sightings happen. So she said, if if it, if you wanted to really find Bigfoot, you could purposefully just have campfire with beer, you know. And there you go. <laughs> so she well, may ask that question. That's just a heads up. But yeah, I that's got, the uh, that's the con- that's a consensus amongst researchers is you don't find Bigfoot. Bigfoot finds you. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and, I think yeah, ghosts are the same thing. I think an extraterrestrial school, you know. Right. Uh, you just got to be yourself and, and have fun out there and make noise and. and don't try to be quiet because when you're trying to be quiet, they are probably on to you that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, probably <laughs> looking for them. Right. And so, yeah, I would I would suggest any researchers that go out there to do field research, just act normal. Talk, mm-hmm. have fun, make noise. If you want to have a couple beers, as long as you're not getting sloppy drunk, then <laughs> by all means, have a good time. And I think you'll have better success that way. That's right. Everything in moderation, people. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So now my real good question before I turn it back to Tim. Um because, you know, we talked to you, and you've, you've done some things with uh, UFOs, too. Um, but there was this, there's this uh, place, LL Research, uh, and it was based on this trans channeler from 1981 named Carla Ruckert, who channeled the energy of this thing they call Ra, okay? And it's all about the law of one. It's a kind of a complicated thing. But in that message from this 
it's kind of a collective of higher order extraterrestrial entities. Um, to them, a Bigfoot, you know, or anything cryptozoological mm. uh, are created as uh, animals. And the, part of the reason you don't see them is uh, because in according to this channeler, uh, they could uh, survive a nuclear holocaust and they would be the next coming uh, should the entire human civilization be destroyed by radiation? Uh, and that's a so where my really weird question is, what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's a that's a great question. And there are a lot of people that speculate that uh, Bigfoot and other cryptids may not be of a terrestrial mm -hmm. um, base. They might not be specifically earthbound creatures. I feel that they are. But there are some that believe they're they're interdimensional or they're able to transfer their energy from one plane to another plane. Right. And if that is the case, which I don't know if it is or not, but if that is the case, one would suspect that if there is something like a nuclear holocaust, they'd be able to leave this plane and, and transfer to the plane that they, they're normally in oh. and, and remain safe and protected. However, I don't know if that's if Bigfoot's able to do that or not. There are, there are those who theorize and speculate that Bigfoot is interdimensional, and that's why we can't catch him or find any solid evidence. Because when he's here in our plane, he leaves footprints, he leaves hair, he leaves scat, but then you know, we're not looking for, we are looking for him, and we can't find him, that he's in the other plane. So there's a lot of different theories and, and thoughts as to what Bigfoot is, where it comes from, and, and what, what abilities it has. Uh, it's hard to say what it really is. But, but still, we've ultimately just learned especially from you, because, look, I'll say it again. And we may have met, you know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you've met a lot of people at these conventions, you know. Uh, uh, but but it's an honor to have you here. But to hear you and your speculation think, no, that, that, it's a, uh, that it is a, a terrestrial uh, being mm -hmm. uh, is, I think, a great answer. You know, because, again, the, there are speculations and we like to go out there with theoretical stuff, you know, uh, but you have to come down to earth if you're going to be a real expert on these things, which we consider you to be. And I, I love that answer. And I thank you for it. I got to now uh, back to Timmy. Eric, has there been a lot of sightings in Southwest PA over the years and even, you know, the present? Oh, yeah, there's there's been. Oh, gosh, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many sightings because. With Stan Gordon's work and P Dr. Paul Johnson's work and even Joan Jeffers, they were working as researchers back in the, the 60s and the 70s. Um, Stan's been doing this since 1959, mm -hmm. and Paul got into this in the mid-70s, and they've collected hundreds of eyewitness reports. Um, the group that I ran from 1999 to 2014, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, we've collected well over three, 400 um, eyewitness reports. And now there's so many investigators out there in the field who are um have either have small groups or ind independently researching they've collected dozens if not hundreds of reports so it's hard to base how many reports there are in pennsylvania but th th my guess would have to be in the thousands and and it still continues i mean i, I talk to people almost on a weekly, if not daily basis about their reports. As a matter of fact, I just talked to somebody about three or four days ago who had a sighting in the southwestern Pennsylvania area in Fayette County that happened in the fall. And I found out two days ago 
and just got a reconfirmation from one of my friends who's a researcher that he knows a police officer that had a sighting in Mon- Monongahela wow. um, about six years ago. So you always get these reports coming, whether they're current or whether they're older reports, you're always hearing somebody having an encounter or a sighting and they still go on. Um, last year in 2018 through the early part of 2019, Stan Gordon and I were extremely busy fielding reports um, and, and investigating, going out and investigating cases. So yeah, there's still reports coming in constantly. Mm-hmm. Have you been to the Butler Paranormal Conference? I know like uh, Brian Seach and Stan Gordon. Uh, they they they're like partners in hosting that, as well as some other organizations. Have Have you been to the event? Uh, yeah, in its early days, its first couple of years, I was actually lectured there um, at several of the early events. But I haven't been to the last four or five events um, in Butler. Um, yeah, but it's it's a very very well known. Um, conference brian and terry seach and uh some of the other organizers they do a great job organizing it they have a large crowd that comes to the event and uh, they put on a a great bunch of speakers that talk and and i had the privilege and i was honored to be able to speak there for the first few years when they they got the event up off up and off the ground Mm. yeah i may have seen you speak at one of one of their events early on because i've been you know going since like the third year third fourth year uh, since they started, so I may have seen you there. You know, seen you there. So. Yeah, I either had a table um, as a Bigfoot researcher, or was asked to speak. And I spoke like the first three or four years that they mm-hmm. did it, and the last, I'd say, three or four, maybe five years, I haven't attended. But I, I did for a while, and it's a very successful event. My hats off to Brian and Terry, and Fred Saluga, and those folks at the event that do such a great job in organizing it. Chip. Okay, back to weird loaded questions here. <laughs> I've, I've got two. One in reference to your, your appearances in, in documentaries. And one about your uh, radio shows. Uh, but the first, uh, the question uh, I have with, in regard to the documentaries that you've been featured in, in what manner and what things did you address in those documentaries? And how does it feel watching yourself on TV? That's you know, it's always weird to me. <laughs> um, I, I've been in oh gosh, I, I think six or seven yeah documentaries and and one television one or two television appearances. I've been I've appeared on the local news channels a, a few times over the years. Wow. Um, I actually did a, a TV program called Boogeyman that ran on Destination America. The first season was aired. The second oh season, which, I, I was saw in, that. I was in the second. I was in the second season of that, but that wasn't aired on on um, cable. It's actually on Amazon Prime now. You can watch it, and they they put me on a, an episode about Thunderbirds in Pennsylvania. I talked about that on the episode, and um, I've done I've done some films um, like um, Mountain Devil, The Search for Frank Peterson, that was mm-hmm. done by Ryan, Ryan Cavallini. Right. Um, I was in that as a it, just playing myself as an investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Seth Seth Breedlove is from small town monsters has put out a couple of Bigfoot films, um, invasion on chestnut Ridge and, uh, on the trail of Bigfoot, both of which I've appeared in. Um, it's, it's fun to do. Um, somebody asked me to do something like that and it's, it's helping to educate somebody or get the word out about Southwestern PA. I'm happy to do it. Uh, I don't, I don't particularly care for the being on the, in the spotlight. That's why I don't do many. I've been offered right. quite a bit, quite a yeah. bit to do the, the shows and stuff, you know, like, 
Yeah, but um, you got a face for camera, man. You know, I got a face <laughs> for radio. You know, <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You know, I, I, you know, I have seen you. You know, on on some show, I don't remember what it was, honestly. <laughs> so, pardon my ignorance on that. But That's you look, right. you look good. You know, because you've got this, I don't know, light about you. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and it, it and it shows when you speak, and and it it brings immediate authority to you, which is always good. And and it's good to you know be if you're going to represent something, it's good to be have this automatic authority. And we do see that in you on camera, just to let you know that because you're a humble guy like we are, even though I'm like the best humble guy you'll ever know. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be to be honest with you, it's it's very easy to let being on a TV show or documentary get to your head. It mm-hmm. kind of happened to me at one point. And, you know, I, I kind of got a little big headed, but I was brought down to earth pretty quickly. And yeah, life uh, does that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, tr- I try to remain humble. But, you know, there are some people that don't see it that way, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. And yeah, but that, that's, you know, but that's those people, you know, because there's always those people. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I kind of like being, you know, in the spotlight, but under the radar at the same time, because those people don't. <laughs> yeah, the last few years I've I've preferred to stay un, under the radar, so to speak. I, I I've gone independent. I do work with Stan and a, a handful of other researchers, but I try to keep low key. I mean, I don't want to be on a TV show like Finding Bigfoot or Mountain Monsters or anything like that. I'm happy doing what I do because yeah, but- I've I've learned once you get that fame and you know people start looking at you for everything and. and and you don't get peace and quiet. It can be quite ner- unnerving sometimes. Well, I, I understand that uh, kind of on a soul level because, you know, there are some shows about Bigfoot and it it's kind of novelty-esque. And mm-hmm. that is not you, you know. Yeah. You're very earnest in your research. You're very earnest in your uh, approach. All the people that I love that love you are earnest people, you know. I mean, good people know who good people are. So, you know, I just feel kind of the need to let you know that. Well, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. And and I wanted to ask you, uh, and pardon my ignorance, because you know I'm I'm on radio three times a week, and I don't have a chance to pay attention to other radio shows. Um, you had the Beyond the Edge radio um, on uh, Paranex, uh, uh, Parax. You know, I had a show on Parax once called Keeping the Spirits Alive, and co-host on that. So, shout out to them, uh, Planet Paranormal and TuneIn Radio. Is, is that show still going? And even if it's not, uh, what kind of guests would you have? What kind of things would you talk about? What excited you as a as a radio host? Well, um, Beyond the Edge Radio isn't on the air right now. Um, we went off the air in November of 2017. Um, I started having some health problems and didn't have the time to dedicate to the show, so I yeah. put the show on the shelf. But I've done ran- the same thing. That's why you know I've had four different radio shows each time. <laughs> For the same reason, you know. The- yeah, it, it, we. Uh, I, I had well. I, Sean Forker and I started the show in 2007, and when uh, the show ran for 10 years, um, and we were on a variety of different radio networks, even terrestrial radio for a time, and um, we had a variety of, of different subjects and topics and guests. It wasn't just paranormal, uh, cryptids, UFOs, Bigfoot. We covered everything. We even talked about serial killers. We had authors about Ted Bundy on and authors about Richard Chase, um, the vampire serial killer from California. We, I mean, we, we covered a variety of things. It's conspiracy theories. We, we always wanted to put information out there to the public mm-hmm. so they could better understand um, topics that they seem to be interested about. And, 
you know, it wasn't we just didn't want to keep our audience to one certain subject. We didn't want to you know focus right. solely on ghosts. Yeah. Um, but we had a wide variety of, of guests on the show. Some of the biggest names in UFO, Bigfoot, paranormal research we've had on the program. And, and it was truly a blessing to have some of those great guests on. Right. Yeah, it's and, a thrill when, you, you know, you get some guests you didn't think you were going to get. Yeah. Know. That's yeah. us today, by the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, but but there is a thrill to that. And getting the truth out there means that, you know, there's less to fear. The more you know, the less there is to fear, really. Right. Right. And, and I, I just I worked in radio. Um, I went to college for broadcasting. And cool. when I yeah. graduated in 1992, I worked in radio from 90. Well, actually, from 89, I interned at a radio station. And then I worked in radio from 90 through about 97. Um, I worked at a couple of FM stations, a couple of AM stations. And, See, so you uh, got the old school in you, you know, no dead yeah. air ever. And, you, you know, you're, you're <laughs> right. careful about time and you know what the parameters are. And, you know. Yeah, I've done that too. I've done call letter. I mean, it's a it's a whole different world, but it makes this one, you know, the, because we're old school, you know, we have that integrity that we have to keep because that's how we've been taught. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I had such a passion for radio. I still have a passion for radio. <laughs> if if it didn't pay so little, that's probably what I would be doing. Full -time. <laughs> right. yeah. Unfortunately, they don't pay very well. And, and, you know, when you have a wife and family to, to take care of, you got to right. yeah. it does pay well. So. But uh, I did have a background in radio and broadcasting, which I took into the, the podcasting realm. I did live radio for off and on for about 10 years. Uh, I brought it to a close in November of 2017. And um, I haven't announced this yet, and, and I might as well. I'll, I'll be the first to do it on your show here. But uh, in August, we'll be relaunching BTE Radio again as a monthly podcast. No kidding. Yeah, so we'll be bringing it back as a monthly podcast. And, wow. and we're the first to know. Yeah, you know? that's the first to know. I haven't I haven't announced it anywhere else. Well, thank um, you. But, uh, yeah, come August. Um, we're not going to do a show like we did with just guests. We'll have guests on from time to time. But what we're going to do is more of a roundtable discussion. Oh. Um, we have myself. Um, I'm hoping to get Sean Forker back on the show again. He was the original, one of the original right. founders your, with me. Your guy, uh, yeah. Marie Samuels, who was my uh, most recent co-host on the show for three years, and Sean and Marianne Donnelly, um, uh -huh. who joined the show doing the Haunted Spotlight section of the show. And what we're hoping to do is to um, do a two-hour program where we, we pick a subject and we discuss that subject for two hours. The, in, the pros and cons, the ins and outs, the history of a location, if we're going to be talking about a haunted location or uh, if we're going to be talking about um, like the cr crash at Roswell, we'll talk about the history about it and we'll discuss it rather than bringing a guest on to, to get their input. It'll be us discussing it as, as uh, just having an interest in that subject. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, you know, if, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, closer to August, you know, maybe you could uh, pop in here on supernatural realm for a couple of minutes just to remind the folks. Oh, I'd be happy to. Thanks. Yeah, of course, it's Timmy's show, but, you know. <laughs> I, I agree. You know. He and I have this symbiosis. We're like twins, so, you know, uh, uh, that's that's what he'd be saying if I wouldn't say it. Uh, meanwhile, we'll let him speak now. Timmy. Yeah, it, it's it's great having a well-rounded radio show, as you mentioned, Eric. And, and to me, I, I think that's, you know, brings out more listenership as well as, 
it it educates us as as radio hosts and individuals on you know, the other subject matters. So yeah, it's 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 great having a, a well-rounded show. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and, and plus. The listeners don't get bored with the same topic every right. week. I mean, right. If you've got something new or something they've never heard of, like one, one show we talked about, the Stonehenge of America, which mm-hmm. many people don't know about. Right. Um, just, you know, fascinating locations. Or when we talked about serial killers, we, we talked to people that, that really had the inside dirt on Ted Bundy or some of the, the more notorious serial killers. Um, you know, the um, the serial killer from Chicago, his name escapes me at the moment, but he had the murder castle. Oh yeah, the um, oh uh, the H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. That yeah. was Jeff Jeff Mudgett's baby because yeah. Jeff Mudgett. I don't know if you know Jeff Mudgett or not. I believe I you do. probably do. Yeah, I love that guy. You know, he's the sweetest guy in the world, uh, and he's convinced that you know this was his great great grandfather H.H. Holmes that did the Jack the Ripper killings. Right, and we we had we had Jeff on the show uh, three or four different times to talk about. Not only the the H. H. Holmes case, but then the the aspect of it from him possibly being Jack the Ripper, and, and just really fascinating to talk to people that really got in depth with the story and, and brought it out to the listeners. So we we always tried to mix it up a little bit for our listeners. Um, the biggest <laughs> downfall we had for our show, and I'll share this with you guys real quick. Um, we always and it, you can ask my co-host, you can ask some of the former listeners. Every week, it seemed like we had the we called it the BTE curse because we get on the air, we'd be rolling along about an hour into the show, a great interview or a great discussion, and then the internet would die on us. So either, either <laughs> well, the government, yeah, Murphy's Law loves radio yeah. for some reason. Yeah, either the government was on to us and didn't want us getting out, <laughs> or the Men in Black, or it was just bad luck. I don't know, but um, we always had the BTE curse, and, and it never failed. Every week we try to get on the air, we get on for about an hour, hour and a half, and we die because of the something happened with the internet or something technical went wrong. So <laughs> never failed. Okay. Well, at least if this happens during this broadcast, we can blame you for it. So that's that's kind of. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep, yep. Just saying, damn well, it. I am late tonight, so we can we can blame that on me for sure. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> well, that's in the stuff happens department, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. We ain't we ain't judging. We ain't blaming. <laughs> Eric, what's your what's your thoughts on uh, the Shenango Dog Boy or the Chikora Gargoyle? Have you had any experience with those, or have you had any phone calls about them? Um, there was not necessarily the well. I, I guess it, it could say it was a dogman case I had out of Mercer County mm-hmm. that took place in 2014. Um, I, I talked to a, an eyewitness who saw some kind of dog-like creature walking along the road heading into town into Mercer just outside of Mercer near the sheets and about two or three o'clock in the morning he saw it and I, I went to the location and I asked him if he thought it might have been a Bigfoot and uh, he's he emphatically said no it wasn't a Bigfoot it was something else uh, whether or not it was the dog boy or not I, I don't know and to be honest with you that's the one and only case I've ever heard of or investigated as far as the Shenango Valley dog boy Brian Seach is more well adept to that. Mm-hmm. He's investigated some cases, and he'd probably be more knowledgeable on that than I am. Um, as far as the Shakura da- uh, gargoyle, I talked to the key eyewitness uh, several times in person and on the phone who had seen the creature walk across the road and just underneath that stop sign, that, that sign that it, it walked underneath, that he said it was almost eight feet tall. 
Um, I've never been, I've been to Shakura once or twice looking for Bigfoot and, and following up on Bigfoot sightings, but I've never investigated the Shakura gargoyle sighting. However, I, I talked to the main witness and then I had um, other people let me know through word of mouth that there were still sightings going on up in that area, but I never followed up again. Um, that's more of other researchers in the area that were doing that, like Brian and some other folks that went up there and looked into those cases. Um, I was only able to talk to the main eyewitness on a few few occasions, either in person or on the phone. Yeah, because I'm only like 15 minutes from Chikor, so that's the it's first a, I've heard about it. Really it's a pretty so. creepy place up there. It is. Um, some dark hollows and... and uh, it's yeah. Pennsylvania's just got some weird energy. Man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's especially <laughs> weird up there, though. I've, I've you know, driven up there numerous times. You know, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's pretty weird. creepy up in that place, some places up in there, yeah. Yeah, even even not in Butler and outside of here, it's 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 got some weird energies going on. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Chip A. Yeah, um, you know it it brings to mind a, a couple of things, and again, weird question time. Uh, <laughs> but we have, we have a very good friend to this show here named Travis Short, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who's been very involved in the Mothman case. Yes, you know. And he's gone down to West Virginia and he's talked to the people and he's done documentaries about it. And, you know, I, I'm kind of curious because it could fit into a cryptozoological sense, but it seems more represented in an almost interdimensional or extraterrestrial sense. And, you know, because you look so deeply into cryptozoology and you do it, you know, in a very base way, you know, I, I mean, you're you're not automatically swayed by all the, you know, the the wildness or the theories or the cool stuff. You, you know, you uh, tick all the boxes. You know, you're looking at 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 the reality of the things that you're looking at, and we appreciate you for that. Would you consider Mothman part of a cryptozoological, or would you think it more in in kind of a a, a different sense, like the interdimensional or extraterrestrial? That's a really hard question to answer. Um, in all fairness, Mothman is my second favorite cryptid, if you want to call it a cryptid. Um, I've looked into that case pretty uh, thoroughly and studied it. I've been to Point Pleasant several times, either during the Mothman Festival or um, outside the festival. I've been out to the TNT area. I've done some walking around up there at night, and that, that's a really creepy place. Um I'm not exactly sure what the Mothman is, to be honest with you. Uh, there's so many varying reports from eyewitnesses. Some just called it a big bird. Um, some said it was more like a flying hominid or something large, very tall, with these bright, fluorescent, glowing red eyes um, that they didn't, they've never seen before. So it takes on a variety of different descriptions based on who you talk to. So it's kind of hard to categorize it as a cryptid. Um, and, and to be honest with you, there's no, nothing in our fossil records of any type of flying hominids or, or flying humans um, that would even come close to what the Mothman is. So we don't have a, a historical record of anything close to it, or even anything in our current animal catalog close to it. So I don't know what the people were seeing down there. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I tend to lean more towards it being a large heron, a blue heron, or, or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But there was... There was so much hysteria going on at that time, and there was so much more than just the Mothman going on at that time in mm-hmm. Point Pleasant that um, it, it's hard to say what people were really saying. Because as you you had not only the Mothman sightings going on, you had U- a ton of UFO sightings over the Ohio Valley. Right, right. They were happening. John Keel was investigating, 
Yep. Of course, Mary Heyer, who worked for the, a newspaper in Point Pleasant. She had a little office there. You had men in black encounters going on. You had paranormal activity. Right. You had strange um, sounds being heard in the town, either through people's radios and television sets or mm-hmm. actually outside. They would hear weird buzzing and, and different like static electricity sounds and stuff like that. Yeah, so just a lot of weird There stuff. was just really weird things going on at Point Pleasant at that time. Plus, you had the, the climatic finish with the collapse of the silver bridge in right. oh, uh, 1967 yeah. oh, so boy, that was horrible. yeah, yeah. And, and you have you had over 40 45 46 people die and it, it's just it was such a horrible tragedy it's just so much weird things going on in point pleasant it's hard to say that. if it was a cryptid that was involved with it or it was something otherworldly or maybe an alien i, I really can't answer that well i i want to add to your speculations because it's your second favorite cryptid <laughs> <laughs> Because this guy brought up a very interesting point that I don't think enough people have really considered. So I wanted to run this past you and think of, uh, think of uh, you know, find out what you think about it. And so he said, you know, I mean, uh, back in the day, and I mean way, way back in the day when it was just Native Americans here. I'll call them Indians because back then they were, that's what they, you know, <laughs> called right. themselves. Sure. Right? You had, you had tribes of Indians that were you know, and all this conflict. And then the Europeans started showing up, always in a compassionate sense, you know. Uh, they, they send a minister or something that wants everybody to get along, and all of a sudden, they, there's more Europeans than Indians, and they're saying, you know what, this is our land now, and all this stuff. And there's talk about curses from American Indians, because mm-hmm. nobody's thinking that far back that could still affect this day and age. But it brings up an interesting point that nobody really covers is we don't think of, you know, the pre-European history of this country, you know, or this land, and, uh, you know, and there's some very bad feelings from the losing side of that history that nobody might consider. Uh, so I just wanted to, as a hypothetical, or, or just as an extra thought, since it's your, your second favorite cryptid, if it could be part of some Indian curse. Well, it, it's very possible it could be. There was a, a chief, Cornstalk, who lived in the Point Pleasant area, and he was actually, he went to a, there was a fort built at Point Pleasant, and he went there, supposedly he was in good terms with the the uh, English settlers, the Americans, the early colonists, and he was supposedly on good terms, but they actually set it up as a, a trap. They captured him, and they supposedly killed him at the fort, and he, at, on his dying last dying breath before he was executed, he uttered a curse on Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. That's one of the supposed legends that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I'm aware of, there's no real historical information other than a play that was released in the <laughs> 1800s right. where school children reenacted that and, and made Chief Cornstalk utter this curse. So it depends on, again, who you talk right. to, whether or not there was a curse. Yeah, actually. it's like stuff gets lost in the translation, if you will. Yeah, so it was actually, it depends on who you talk to, whether or not Chief Cornstalk did put a curse on the city, but there are folks who live in that area that do believe the reasons for all the the tragedy in Point Pleasant. And there wasn't just the the Silver Bridge that collapsed that was the main tragedy. There was flooding, and there were other tragedies that happened along the Ohio River there um, in the the town, fires and whatnot. Um, So a lot of people think that maybe Cornstalk did have something to do with a curse and put a curse on the the residents of that area. 
Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's food for thought anyway. And I did have two weird questions for you, but I stretched this first weird question <laughs> into five. So I'm going to let Timmy have one, uh, you know, before my next weird question for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, what are the most recent sightings of Bigfoot that you have heard about, Eric? Um, here in Pennsylvania or just in general? You know, here in Pennsylvania and in general, both. Um, there, there are Bigfoot sightings coming in every day um, around the country um, that researchers are putting up on Facebook or, or putting out there to the public. A lot of them don't get mainstream media or don't get released to the, the public by media, newspaper or, or TV. But there are reports coming out. Um, there was some, some things going on in Georgia and North Carolina where there have been some recent sightings. Um, here in Pennsylvania, um, the most recent things that I'm aware of took place this uh this early spring back in April and May and Stan and I were working on some cases together where um, these are not your typical Bigfoot cases where Bigfoot was seen crossing a road or somebody saw Bigfoot in the woods. Um, these are some really off the wall cases where people claim that Bigfoot dematerialized in front of them or just simply vanished without a, a trace. In other words, it was there and then it was gone. So, Again, that leads back to the, a lot of the hypothesis and people's speculation is that it might be inter interdimensional. But we had some sightings in Pennsylvania, um, in the Westmoreland County area in the spring, um, April and early May. Um, I've talked to some people recently that, that let me know about sightings that happened in the fall in Fayette County. Um, and I, I talked to a witness who had some vocalizations that happened actually at our Bigfoot event. He was one of our speakers that heard wow. something whooping outside of his cabin on um, one of the nights while he was staying with us. So, um, and, and then supposedly there was a footprint found um, just outside the campground um, by a, a little girl and her father that they made a cast of as well. So um, don't know if that was legitimate or not, or somebody put that on as a hoax for the, the Bigfoot event, but um, that happened as well. But the Bigfoot sightings are, are have been nonstop. Um, like I said, I, I talk to people either every other day or once a week about stuff that goes on. And a lot of the stuff I don't put out to the public because either I can't follow up on it or I'm not able to get to the sighting location. I just don't want to put a report out there for just the report. Um, I like to put stuff out if I'm able to investigate and, and come up with some kind of conclusion or at least uh, some kind of uh, – something to back up their claim or, or their, um, their sighting. Yeah. Uh, Brian had mentioned something posted on Facebook uh, a few months back where there had been uh, maybe some Bigfoot sightings or some strange um, cryptid sighting near the woodlands or woodlands uh, in Evans City, Pennsylvania. Have you heard anything about that? No, I, Brian and I don't keep in touch like we used to. So mm -hmm. I, I don't, I didn't know much about that one. Um, I, I didn't know there was anything going on in Evans city, but it doesn't surprise me because that area, um, up in Lawrence County, um, you know, up near Newcastle and, uh, even Butler, that whole area up there has had a, a large number of not only Bigfoot cryptid sightings, but strange paranormal activity, as you mentioned earlier, it's a weird place, gives up some weird vibes. So I'm not surprised. Even even Moraine State Park, you know, you get kind of weird vibes there as well. Yeah, I've been to Moraine State Park a few times myself, and there's some weird things that go on there. Chip? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, you know, it's kind of a nice segue into my second weird question. 
<laughs> because again, I, I have to dwell on something that you said earlier that sticks with me. It's kind of that you had me at hello moment, you know, <laughs> it just can't get past. Uh, but because of your regard of them as, as terrestrial creatures, my, my weird question is, because you've also worked in the UFO community, you've done some things with them um, more than I have, I know, uh, and maybe more than Tim has, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess my weird question is, you know, you work with those people and then you have a faction of those people who have had contact. <clears throat> And once you talk to people who have had contact, then you get into more of that interdimensional type of thing. And the fact that you're saying that you're getting reportings of Bigfoot sightings in recent times where they're, you know, basically uh, disappearing, you know, uh, dematerializing right in front of these folks, um, you know, again, would put a lot of people into that, you know, interdimensional kind of realm, which you're not in. And I, I do like the fact that you're not in that, you know, that kind of means something to us, really, because we've talked to different people ab- ab- about it. And sometimes, you know, you go to some very wild places. But again, you're taking all the boxes here. So I guess my my word question to you is because of your work with people uh, the, in UFOs or maybe contactees and that kind of thing, which brings up the whole, you know, the speculation with Mothman, like you were saying, um, what is it, uh, is it that, is it working with those people that further allows you to stay with your point that this is a terrestrial, uh, being? Um, actually it makes it difficult to stay with my point that this is a terrestrial being because working with folks in the UFO community, there are those cases from the seventies and eighties and even, even some of these cases today that have that, that element of high strangeness. Right. Working very closely with Stan Gordon, as I have over these past 30-plus years, um, he's, he's made me maybe very well aware of the cases that have appeared that have had UFO connections to them. Now, even he won't say that there is a UFO connection to Bigfoot or Bigfoot to UFO, but there have been strange cases where they've been seen either at the same location at the same time or one before the other, one after the other, shortly after. And that makes it very hard not to look at those cases. And I try to, I consider myself an objective researcher. I mm-hmm. consider myself someone who looks into all avenues. I don't, I don't try to rule anything out, but I try to lean one way or the other. I don't try to just be all over the map. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to Bigfoot being, or having an element of the UFO community or any kind of paranormal or extraterrestrial aspect, I don't think you can truly rule that out because at this point we don't have information as to exactly what Bigfoot is, where it comes from, where it goes, why we can't collect a lot of good hard physical evidence to prove that it's real. So those questions have to remain out there and you have to, you have to address them. You can't just brush them under the rug. Um, But on the other side of the coin, it's not something that's frequent enough or occurs enough of the time to really make a lot of physical researchers, flesh and blood researchers stand up and take notice. Yeah. Well, I I have to, I really have to underscore the fact that you tick all the boxes. I mean, you look at every possible outcome. You remind me, and this is a very high compliment, and I I hope you know this guy because he's from Pennsylvania too, fellow named Mark Kyes. He he was a uh, Pennsylvania uh, state trooper, actually a criminal investigator, so a a detective for the state police, right? 
and uh, but he was also into paranormal investigations. So when he did paranormal investigations, he did it the, under the same kind of structure as doing a criminal investigation, which has to be so thorough that you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law that somebody did this. You know what I mean? So he takes that same kind of structure into a paranormal investigation by taking all the boxes, by looking at all the possibilities and only seeing what objectively can be proven, you know, and, and, you know, so that kind of fiber in investigative manner, it, it, uh, parallels in my mind to you because that's what you do. And we respect the fact that, you know, and even in my weird questions, you're saying, well, it's easy to go there, but I can't go there, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to pass that on. You probably don't know Mark Kies, do you? <laughs> no, I don't, unfortunately. But um, he does sound a lot um, very level-headed mm -hmm. and very objective, which is what the field really needs. Right. You can't you, – and I try to tell this to folks, uh, and I, I get a lot of feedback and a lot of hate mail from it. But you can't just make assumptions about subjects, right? especially if, if they're the subjects that you know very little about. You mm -hmm. can call yourself an expert, but there really are no experts on any of these subject matters. Right. Right. We're, all, we're all amateurs, and, and no matter what background you bring to it, we're still amateurs when it comes to these subjects because no one has, has really fully come to understand or, or found the, the true answers to what a lot of these subject matters revolve mm -hmm. around or what, what causes them. So you, you can't make assumptions. You have to be as objective as you can, and you have to look at every possible answer and then rule out the ones that don't fit, of course. Right. But, and then you come across the people that have theories and they're mm -hmm. the ones that become haters because it's an ego thing. And sure. once you're an objective investigator like you are and you, <laughs> and you have to clash with a guy who says, no, it's my way or the highway, you know, then there's yeah. those clashes because people feel like experts because it becomes their reality. And, and they put their reputations on the line by sticking to their theory. But you don't do that. And I think it's important to point out, you know, because people who are really looking for the truth in these matters should look to people like you, you know, uh, or, or Mark Kies or Tim Roxbury, Chip Wright. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, um, yeah, and it's so easy to run into the fantastical part of these things or only look that way. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's fantastic, so I'm going to point out all the fantastic things, and anybody objective, you know, should get out of my way. You know, it's kind of, and it's so easy that it happens everywhere, and it's a real pain in the butt, you know, when that happens. But at the same time, because it's our job to get, you know, information out there, you know, so people have less to fear about these things, or at least they, the more to know about these things, that the ones they should listen to, you know, are, are always the guys that aren't in it for the glory. They're in it for the message. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, you know, but they're, but they're ticking every box, you know, right. they're looking at every possibility and uh, out objectively, even if they want the answer to be something, uh, they, they'll only point out what they can actually find or actually prove, you know, mm -hmm. and have to rule all these fantastical things out. Those are the guys to listen to in your, one of them, so I thank you for that, Eric Altman. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's not a question, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Eric, is it your belief that there's a connection with uh, UFOs and Bigfoot? Well, as I alluded to earlier and talked about, um, 
I've worked with Stan for, God, I've known Stan since I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's almost 36 years I've known him now. And I've become very, very familiar with a lot of the cases that he investigated in the 70s. And there were aspects of UFOs in some of those cases and mm-hmm. a lot of high strangeness cases. I, I can't say that, that Bigfoot and UFOs are connected. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there are those cases out there that suggest there may be some element of connection or um, some kind of interest where either terrestrial, extraterrestrials have in Bigfoot or Bigfoot happens to be around the UFO when it's seen. I, I don't know if there's a connection or not, but there are those cases out there. They're minute and there's not a, a great number of them. Most of the Bigfoot cases are people having a, a sighting or an encounter in the forest or something walks across the road in front of their car. They're, they're terrestrial cases or, or earthbound or flesh and blood cases, if you will. But there are those handful that are out there. And you can you can read about them in Stan's books that that, that really show some there might be something more to it than just uh, an animal that we're dealing with. Right. Yeah, because it almost you know almost seems that there is some sort of connection between the two, because you know as you said, where there's a UFO encounter or experience, there's also a Bigfoot experience in that same location. Yeah, those cases have happened, but the, as I said, there are not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. There, there's. Um, probably a small percentage of them than there is a large percentage of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Eric, my wife came in. That's a very rare thing. You know, <laughs> uh, Good time, she man. has a question for you. I've only got one pair of headphones, so I'm going to transfer it to her, but she's got a question for you. Um, okay. Hello there. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. My question is, when you guys go and you look for Bigfoot, which I believe is probably our, one of our ancestors, um, why don't you just sit by a campfire, put cameras out, laugh, and, and you know, just do that instead of walking around the woods looking for it. Because you're not going to find it. It's going to find you. Well, that's actually what I've said earlier in the interview is, is that what I tell people is you know, it's okay to go out and look for evidence. But your chances of actually finding or coming across the Bigfoot in the woods are pretty slim. Because I, I personally think that once you close your car door and you're out in the woods, it hears you and knows that you're in, in its territory. So it's going to avoid you. As far as the camera traps go, they don't work. Mm. Um, we've the researchers Put food across, up on the trees, like uh, steak. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can attract bears that way, too. And, and if you're out there you know, hunting for Bigfoot, you certainly don't want a bear to come in and, and harass you. But... Um, I tell people to just be themselves, talk, have carry on a normal conversation. Don't be uh, like quiet and sneak around the woods because I think the Bigfoot know you're there. And if you're quiet and try to act stealthy, it's going to know that you're up to something and avoid you altogether. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they say a lot of times that Bigfoot actually likes children, the laughter of children. Mm-hmm. And so, some- you know, you bring out some child, you know, a, a recording of children laughing. Oh, we've done that. Yeah, we've, we've actually done that where we've uh, brought out recordings of children laughing and playing. And we haven't had too much success with it, but I guess you have to be in the right place at the right time where there's actually a Bigfoot hanging out at for that to work. But other researchers have, researchers have tried that as well. Oh, okay. Well, those were my questions. Okay, well, thank you. A good <laughs> Gee, question. Maybe one day we'll, we'll hook up and I'll help you look for Bigfoot. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> There you go, Chippy. Oh, thank you, baby. <laughs> that's that's kind of yeah, that's, that's the great the great Terry Reichenthal <laughs> on Supernatural Realm yeah. Radio. Thank you. Yeah. 
It's kind of similar when you're doing a paranormal investigation. You get more evidence or, or data just sitting quietly in a space and let mm -hmm. the let the evidence come to you rather than you right. go out and search it and, you know, antagonize it or whatever. I mean, yeah, you, you can find a lot of evidence by going out. In the, that's the only way you're going to find evidence is to go out in the field and look for it. Mm -hmm. You're going to find your footprints. You're going to find your tree structures. You're going to hear sounds only if you're out in the woods actually looking for it. You're not going to find it from behind your laptop or your computer right. or sitting at home watching it on TV. So I, I suggest people get out there in the woods and look. But if you truly want to have a Bigfoot encounter, I, I suggest to people just to go out. And I've done this where we go out, we do call blasts, we knock on the trees, we make the uh, the calls in, in the forest to try to draw them in. So they know we're there. They know that what we're doing and trying to bring them in doesn't always necessarily work. But there are occasions where we do get replies and we do get uh, answers back from them, either wood knocks or hear animal calls back to us. And uh, but I, I I tell people, you know, I don't I really don't think you go out and find Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot finds you. You need to let it, him come to you and let him know that. You're not out there to hurt him or her. You're not out there to um, to do anything malicious or harmful. You're out there just to have a good time, and, and you're you're basically acting innocent, and that's going to draw his curiosity, pique its curiosity, and bring him <laughs> into you. Maybe he just wants a beer, you know? <laughs> Maybe. Or a Red Bull. Or yeah. a Red Bull, yeah, yeah, something like that. Hey, uh, you know, and uh, b because you, you, you say this, and, and we believe the same thing, you know, uh, because I, I was primarily a paranormalist for a while. Uh, but, you know, every paranormalist I ever met, you know, uh, was there because something happened to them personally, you know, that aroused their fear or curiosity. Most of them came in from a place of fear and not a place of love, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I did personally. But with that said, I've never met a paranormalist who just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to look for ghosts. You know, they're all in there because it, the ghost found them, mm -hmm. just like Bigfoot found them. So of all the things that you've covered, you know, because you've covered a lot of different things in radio, you know, in, in TV, in your background, in your conferences, in everything. Uh, why Bigfoot primarily? Uh, was it uh, because Bigfoot found you or because uh, uh, of something that was just a, an absolute passionate curiosity here? Um, more of a passionate curiosity. Um, like I said, when I was 10 years old, I saw those films. And I, I had been reading books on UFOs and crypt, other cryptids and ghosts and hauntings. And I was just fascinated by it, drawn to it. But I didn't know any place where I could, as a young man, go and, and actually go to a haunted place and get permission from the owners to go in and do a ghost hunt. At that time, when I was growing up, there weren't many ghost investigators. Right. Now you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a ghost <laughs> investigator. Yeah. Hey, you're not old enough to remember Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, are you? Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's what got me, man. <laughs> when um, I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't have anything happen to me. Um, I got to the age in my mid-20s where I finally decided – Okay, I, I moved to Ohio for a little while, and at that time there was stuff going on in Ohio, and I was oh, driving. There's always up. stuff going on in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I was over there looking in Ohio, but I moved back to Ohio because um, my father became ill with cancer. And when I came back to Pennsylvania, um, I decided, well, you know, I'm back here. I have a full time job, I have weekends off. I'm going to actually start trying to find out some of these people I've been reading about in books and newspaper articles and talk to them. 
in person and and get their real story and see if it was changed. It was different from what was in the books or the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And and these people weren't living far away from me. They were living in Greensburg, Ligonier, Latrobe, not too far away from me at all. So I was able to make contact with some of these people. And knowing Stan, I'd say, hey, can you get me in touch with a certain individual? And he'd either say yes or no. And I would go out and meet these individuals and talk to them and hear their story. And that's how I actually learned how to start investigating and, and interviewing people is to meet them face to face and learn their story and, and have them take me to where they had their sighting. And that's how I started actually learning how to interview and investigate. And from there, I started, you know, I put out there myself into the, the public realm as it was just starting on the Internet in the late 90s. Um, about Bigfoot. There was hardly any Bigfoot groups out there in the late Oh, 90s. right, yeah. Or at least and, they wouldn't say it out loud. Right. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I had a, a forum, um, and I had a, a real small group, which was just me and a couple other guys, and I met Steve Anderson and Henry Benton, um, who were running a group called the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, and I teamed up with them. I was a member of the BFRO, which is Matt Moneymaker's Bigfoot Field Research Organization. So I had my foot in the door of a couple places, and just started working with them and building a small little group into uh, a huge group in Pennsylvania where we had over 150 members at one point. And uh, we were getting sighting reports in all the time, and we were filtering them out to other researchers in Pennsylvania that worked with our group and going at those locations and, and meeting with witnesses and staking out locations and looking for evidence. And that's how I got my experience is, is by wow having a passion with it and, and actually getting off my butt from sitting behind a computer and watching TV and reading newspaper articles to going out in the field, talking to these witnesses, seeing the actual location for myself. And, and you know, that way I can make up my own mind whether or not these, these sightings actually occurred or not. Wow. And that, that's fascinating. And, and my next question is probably going to be to Tim, uh, because you've got Basically, two redundant questions from the Reichenthal family here, <laughs> but it, it hi- highlights that you know you're one of the few people that I've ever met in my entire career. It's going to be 40 years next month. You know, looking into these things that came in from pure fascination and not because something you know, but not because uh, you know ghosts chose them or Bigfoot chose them or UFOs chose them. <laughs> you know, you chose to do this. You're one of the very few people I've met in my 40 years that comes into it that way. And so my next question is to Tim, because, you know, Timmy sees, uh, Timmy and I see a lot of things from the same way. We came up kind of in the same way, just like I can say you and I came up in radio the same way, Eric, you know, but I don't know how many people Timmy's met that or talked to in his long radio career that came into this purely from a place of fascination and not because of a, an actual experience. Timmy, that I've, question. I've you... always, I've come into it the same way. I've always been fascinated with the paranormal, with uh, UFOs and, and, you know, the greys and everything else. Uh, my my great-grandfather, when I was young, would always talk about about that subject to my uncle. And he was always fascinated with it. He had a lot of books and 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 papers about different sightings and different things uh you know throughout history and it was something i was always interested and passionate about growing up yeah but i mean when when you were young you had you know you saw things you know I, like spirits or something i so felt they, i felt they things chose around. you I felt here's things a guy around, that yeah. didn't have a personal experience 
and mm-hmm. just came into the field because of that curiosity. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you know, you go to these paranormal conventions, which you do. You have paranormal teams, which mm-hmm. you do. And it seems like everybody around you is looking for ghosts because they saw one, yeah. you know, or one came to them when they were kids or one tried to push their mother down a flight of stairs or something, you know. But here's a guy who comes into the field without an experience like that, mm-hmm. just out of passionate curiosity. And that's a real rare thing. I mean, it could be the very first person I've encountered like that. And there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, but, you know, the people that you've encountered in the paranormal, in the UFO, how many have you met a lot of people that didn't have an experience but had that passionate curiosity or uh, everybody around you that's in there because something happened to them that pulled them into it? I've always had experience of, you know, people getting into it because of what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that made, that makes Eric a very rare guy. It is. It does. Uh, you yeah. Know? And there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's, that's pretty. How about, how about you, Eric? You know, because you, you've been in a lot of conventions, you've hosted a lot of them, you know, but you've seen a lot of people that are uh, Bigfoot people because they've had a Bigfoot experience. You know, not not because when they were kids, they were reading magazines and got the fascination and come come across brilliant people who know more about it than really anybody else does and and learn from them. <laughs> you know, the, the people around you, the people that you meet at conventions, the people in the Bigfoot uh, or crypto field or the UFO fields or the paranormal field. Have you met a lot of people who are into it just out of passion and curiosity rather than having a personal experience and getting pulled into it that way? Well, most of them have the personal experience or something that, that catapulted them into the mm-hmm. field they're in. Um, I know a handful of people that, that just have the fascination or have grown up um, where they, they've just been fascinated by this subject. Stan Gordon's a perfect example. Um, if it wasn't for his parents buying him a, a little radio for his birthday, his 10th birthday, he would have never gotten into the subject because excuse me, he was born near Halloween um, night and he had a little radio as he tells the story and he was listening to the uh, KDK I think it was and they were mm-hmm. talking about ghosts and goblins and UFOs and stuff like that and that really drew him into really looking into the subject matter further he's he'll he'll be the first to tell you he's never seen a UFO he's never seen a Bigfoot um, so he's never had that personal experience and, and there are several people out there like that that have never had a personal experience, but yet they've had the fascination and been drawn into it. But most of the people I've talked to or have either met through research or met through conferences or, or either witnesses or have had something, some kind of experience that's catapulted them into what they do now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it's very rare you meet somebody that hasn't. So this is a very cool day, you know, <laughs> just saying, <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready to take a break here pretty soon? Okay, sure, man. We could do that. What do you think, Eric? Hey, I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and what a beautiful ride it is. It sure is. Uh, okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and take a break here in about a minute or so. Okay. Very cool. Uh, meanwhile, you know, to remind you, our energy, I guess today is Eric Altman. Um, Eric, do you have like a website or, or uh, anything, you know, places where people can contact you and reach you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook at Eric H. Altman. Um, I have ericaltman.net is my personal website, although it hasn't been updated for a little while. 
I've been busy with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure, but there's also that website, pabigfootcampingadventure.com, and beyondtheedgeradio.com, which will be, um, it's still up and running, but it hasn't been updated in about two years, so um, there's a couple ways folks can get a hold of me. Excellent. Well, there's your minute, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) I see how you are. Uh, Trying to multitask over, you got to pick on me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just, you know, keeping things lively while you're doing all that artwork. All right, we're ready to take a break now. I got everything in queue, so we're good to go. Oh, man. Just don't laugh when the commercials are playing. We'll be all right. Yeah, 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 that's right, because we're not going to hear the commercials in our headphones, Eric, but our mics will still be live. We just want to say that out loud, so keep that in mind. (laughs) All right, you are listening to the Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM with our guest, Eric Altman. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to WCET.FM, talk radio like no other. Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Kindness Beyond the Veil, even in the darkest realms and mysteries, good things happen. Kind, even loving things. In the paranormal, psychic world, extraterrestrials, mystical healing, light workers, starseeds, things that have astounded us since the beginning of time, do have a Monday side to them. And we'll show you on Kindness Beyond the Veil, every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Chip Reichenthal. Leading into Michael Barra's Late Night in the Midlands show at 9 Eastern, making Mondays worthy of looking forward to right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is. Guess what, folks? Late Night in the Midlands archive is deep, going back several years, and you can have access to it all by becoming a Late Nighter. Becoming a Late Nighter is easy and only costs $5 a month. Late Nighters get access to so much more that others do not, such as the full three hours of the L&M show with bumpers and archives that go back years, the special video interview page, where you can watch some of the greatest interviews in studio on camera. The LM newsletter will make you the most informed listeners because you will know before anyone else about special events and so much more. So click the subscribe button today and become a late nighter. So go to www.latenightinthemidlands.com. That is www.latenightinthemidlands.com and sign up now. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. What is the supernatural realm exactly? Why do people have paranormal or mystical experiences? There's some science behind it they're not looking at. Why do some people have negative encounters and others don't? What are the best methods to use and is there some new truth to them? We'll ask these questions on the hit radio show, Supernatural Realm with Tim Roxbury, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with your co-host Chip Reichenthal. Supernatural Realm, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7 to 9 Eastern, leading into Michael Vera's Late Night in the Midlands at 9, right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is.
And welcome back to the Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM. Also on Columbia Talk 101.7 FM in Columbia, South Carolina. Chippy, you still there, bud? I sure am. Yeah, and with our honored guest and uh, uh, for a very rare occasion here on Supernatural Realm, we're going to vehemently disagree with our guest by referring to him as the great Eric Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's got a bio that is so huge it would take up the whole show. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight a couple of things, you know, at least according to his bio, and it may be a little outdated if it is, forgive me. But he's organized eight East Coast Bigfoot conferences, co-organized, co-hosted Pittsburgh UFO Bigfoot Conference with the Pennsylvania chapter of MUFON, co-organizer and co-host of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure. Uh, his research has been featured in all forms of media outlets, including books, magazines, countless newspaper interviews. He's been interviewed in over 100 internet, terrestrial, and satellite radio programs, including the great supernatural realm here. <laughs> Uh, featured in numerous television programs as well, including, you know, Supernatural Realm someday when we're a television program, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> He's appeared in the 2004 East Coast Bigfoot Conference DVD, 2012 documentary film American Sasquatch Hunters, Bigfoot in America, 2014 DVD film Mountain Devil, The Search for Frank Peterson, and the most recent 2018 documentary film Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Aside from media appearances and field research, he's also traveled the East Coast for the past 18 years, lecturing and presenting talks for schools, clubs, organizations, meetings, various groups, Bigfoot and cryptozoologically conferences and events. And, uh, of course, he's currently available for booking these events, which you can contact him on the pages that he mentioned right before the break. Very yeah. cool. Eric, we got about... 15 minutes left of the show, roughly. Uh, with you being a radio host, is there anything that you would like to talk about uh, maybe we haven't asked you or covered yet this evening? Mm, no, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that was a loaded question, too. <laughs> whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm, I'm free to, I'm happy to talk with you guys. Not a problem. Okay. All right. Um, hey, I, in the uh, no such thing as a dumb question department, <laughs> before I turn it back to Timmy here, um, what's the real difference between Bigfoot and the Sasquatch? The name. That's it? The name, yeah. The, the term Sasquatch was um, actually an uh, anglicized American word from the Chehalis Indians. They called it Siskahavis. And J.W. Burns uh, was... Uh, visiting the Chehalis Indian tribe in British Columbia, and um, this was in the early 1920s, and he got to know them, and they, they told him stories about this wild man of the woods, this wild hairy man of the forest that they called the Seskahavis, and he changed it, of course, into Sasquatch, which a lot of folks think that's a common name for all Native American tribes, which it truly isn't. That's the only Native American tribe that ever called the Sasquatch the Sasquatch, uh, which was coined by an American, J.W. Burns. Um, the term Bigfoot came about, and actually in 1958, um, it was October of 1958, when a uh, uh, road construction foreman, um, they were building roads in Britain, uh, um, Buffalo, or not Buffalo, excuse me, um, the name escapes, not Willow Creek, but Bluff Creek, California. There we mm -hmm. go. Bluff Creek, California in the 1950s. And uh, he was 
he was like the foreman of this road crew. They were building roads in for timbering and log- logging of the uh, the Bluff Creek area. And um, they would constantly find Bigfoot tracks around their heavy moving equipment, their bulldozers and excavators, and they'd find footprints. And he, he made a copy, I made a plaster cast of one of the footprints that took it to the Humboldt Times. And on, on, a, on October 6th of 1958, they printed a story called Huge Tracks Found That Belonged to a Bigfoot. And that's how the word Bigfoot became um, known. And, and it's actually probably one of the most popular icons in culture, pop culture we have today. But it went from before 1958, it wasn't known as Bigfoot. It wasn't known as Sasquatch. It was simply called wild men or wild women of the forest, wild persons. Uh, yeah. And I hate to disappoint a lot of people from the distant past, but that big hairy guy was me in a past life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, man. Mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, see? It's the magic of supernatural realm. Here. Oh, so there is a purpose behind the beard, then, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, there is. I'm a small, hairy guy now, but I'm working on it, you know? <laughs> They'll call me nice guy foot, you know? Nice <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a question, Tim? Uh, not not exactly, but I, I, I do want to... Uh, and let the listeners know that we are looking for donations to the network to help us stay on the air. Um, the listeners can go to www.latenightinthemidlands.com and uh, please donate because that's what keeps us on the air. That's what keeps us fed and uh, helps us stay here on the air. So Yeah, donate. the cool thing is it's very easy to do. There's this huge button that says donate. You click on that. <laughs> you just follow the advice that they give you, and boom, there you go. And we can stay on the air, and it's a beautiful thing. Because <laughs> we like it here. We love it here, yes. We, we get <laughs> we, guests like Eric Altman on this show, you know. <laughs> That's after, a pretty cool thing. After right. tonight's show, you'll be they'll be donating to get me off the air. Never have <laughs> me back. <laughs> I highly doubt that, man. Um, all right, I got a question for you because, you know, you guys are going to hate me. Uh, but that's okay, you know. Oh, well, uh, um, Because I'm a New York Giants fan, right? Hmm. You know. <laughs> and you guys, Pennsylvania guys, hmm. I do, yeah. I, I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles will be okay, you know, especially if they're not playing us. I like the Steelers, you know. They're they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, I'm an objective Giants fan. But it brings up the topic of New Jersey, okay? And I know you've done a New Jersey Expo because that's where I got your bio from. <laughs> And since you've been in New Jersey, they got some sort of uh, New Jersey monster or something, don't they? And uh, there, there is something that is really pertinent to New Jersey cryptozoologically speaking. Uh, and have you had any, uh, well, not encounters, but, you know, uh, this New Jersey devil or whatever it is. Um, yeah, uh, what kind of buzz have you heard about that? The Jersey Devil is an interesting ph- phenomenon, I guess is the best word to call it, because mm-hmm. there's really never been any physical proof to mm-hmm. say that the animal's real. Um, there's stories about the New Jersey Devil that date back to the 1900s, if not earlier, um, early 18, late 1800s about this creature. You know, go back with uh, Mother Leeds, that supposedly had given birth to her 13th child, which she cursed, and it came out depending on who you ask about the legend, either it came out fully as a, a demon and flew up the chimney or beca- it came out normally and then turned into a demon mm. and flew up the chimney. 
And since that time in the 1700s, it's been reportedly seen all throughout the Pine Barrens and certain sections of New Jersey. And there, there have been sightings of people claiming to see something large with wings fly over their car across the roadway or in the forest over the treetops. People claim they've seen it on rooftops of houses leaving footprints in the snow. And there was an actual interesting episode of Monster Quest. They talked to a woman who claimed she saw it on, the, on her, her roof in the snow and it left these huge tracks. And, and people claim they still have encounters from time to time. But I think of all the cryptids that are out there that have the possibility of existing, to me, that's the least possible cryptid that does exist. It's more, To me, it's more like an urban legend or folk, mm-hmm. folk tale. Okay. Yeah. And it's anything else. Um, or or it could be sent by cowboy and patriot fans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or Pittsburgh Penguin fans. I mean the, the Yeah, that <laughs> Jersey the Jersey Devils have a great hockey team, but uh they're yeah. they have a rivalry with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they, yes, they do. Those games are fun to watch, man. Yeah. But, <laughs> they're um, scrappy. In just in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, a lot of people will disagree, but I, I tend to believe that the Jersey Devil is more based in folklore and mm-hmm. tales, urban legend, than it is an, of an actual creature. Mm. Um, I think people are having misidentifications and seeing common animals like birds or lar- large birds or owls that fly over their car, and they, they have that whole hysteria in the back of their mind. That yeah, they're, they're in their brain Jersey. goes there, you know. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I personally think it is. I, I'm probably wrong, and, and there probably is a Jersey devil out there waiting to eat, gobble up children and you know steal your pets and whatever. But that's just my take on it. I don't think there really is such a thing as the Jersey Devil. Eric, is there, wasn't there something similar with the Amish community, too, where this uh, young family had uh, gave birth to a uh, dog-like creature or dog-like being? Oh, that, that mutant, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's one I haven't heard of. Mm. I mean, it's very possible. I'm just not familiar with that particular story. Yeah. Probably hasn't heard of it because the Amish, you know, they don't have electricity. <laughs> so, you know. They're very private people. So yeah, and word of mouth gets around very slowly. You know, yeah, yeah they they uh, gave birth. This young couple gave birth to a dog-like son. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of hairy, and they were shunned from the community, or they you yeah. know, and they had to hide the their identity. You know, keep it away from the population. Uh, yeah, that's one I'm not familiar with or haven't heard of. Okay. Yeah, boy, that's a sad story, though. Yeah. Kind of like the Amish are pretty cool. I, you know, I've seen one of those villages once. It's it's like walking into the past, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really neat. We all got more of them in, in Pennsylvania than we do here in New York State, but you know, I mean, still. Yeah. That's uh, been uh, a, a pretty cool thing. Um. Do you have any events coming up this summer? You know, do you have a camp trip coming up this summer? Do you have a conference? Are you, you know, anything that you have or places you're going to be in the near future where people can find you in person? Um, I, I did the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure about a little over two weeks ago. It was at the end of May and beginning of June. Um, I don't have anything scheduled um, for the rest of the summer. Um, I'm going to be appearing in um, Greensburg, Pennsylvania at a conference uh, November 8th and 9th at the Ramada Inn. Um, They haven't announced it publicly yet, but um, myself, Stan Gordon, um, Ron Murphy, Ed Kellerman, um, Nick Redfern, and uh, the Ames team from the TV show Mountain Monsters will be there at the event. And 
Um, I believe they're about to release the, the information to the public shortly, but I'll, that's the only thing I have scheduled for the remainder of 2019. Um, 2020, I have a couple of events that I'm signed on for. Um, Phenomenology out in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's yeah good. A couple other ones. Um, nothing's set in stone yet, but I, I've cut back on my lecturing and, and appearances. Um, for a while in the early 2010s to 2014-15, I was lecturing about 15 to 20 times a year, and probably once or twice a month I was going around somewhere, mm -hmm. and it just got to be too costly, and of course having health issues this past year and a half has really slowed me down a lot, so I'm not yeah. lecturing like I used to, but I still get out from time to time, and I still try to get out and do um, field research and investigate cases as time permits. Well, if it's any consolation, we've gone through the same thing, you know, I don't, I, you know, I'd love to go to conferences again and speak. But, you know, again, you know, health issues or, or you know, there's a reason I've had five radio shows in the same time that Timmy's had the same one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, because, yeah, you hit a point where you just simply can't do it or you or you hit a point where everybody around you starts separating you know mm -hmm. they're burning bridges instead of building bridges it's their theory or nobody's theory and yeah. and if you talk to this person then you know somebody who hates them says how can you how can you be treasonous to me like that <laughs> you know? yeah you just stop talking to people all together yeah yeah I, I won't i won't go down that path i i could easily <laughs> but i won't yeah but, yeah unfortunately that happens a lot. There are a lot of bridges burned and a lot of people that used to be friends aren't friends anymore. And yeah, yeah it's, it's complicated and it causes a lot of drama. I, I just try my best to stay away from it and ignore it. It really does. Well, you're a humble guy like us. And, and the thing is we like everybody and we don't want to hate somebody just because somebody else hates somebody, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, puts us happens. in a very precarious position. And it, and it also feeds that health thing. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, it happens and it happens quite a bit. There's, Something I've noticed in, in not only the, the Bigfoot field, but UFOs and paranormal, it's bad in the UFO field, UFO field but there's so many egos involved and there's so much jealousy involved and, and there's a lot of hatred and a lot of dra unnecessary drama that happens between groups. Sure. And it, it, the, the biggest problem that we have facing um, solving these mysteries aren't with the cryptids or UFOs or ghosts. It's with ourselves. <laughs> it's with the people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's what we used to say as mediums, you know. Yeah, <laughs> or or even paranormalists, you know. Uh, forget about the ghost bee. We're a me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's our biggest our biggest downfall is the people ourselves. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the reasons why I don't have a paranormal group anymore. Because as soon as I get a, a, a good one together, it falls apart. So it's like, why bother? Yeah. You know, just just stay yeah. to the show. But it, but at the same reason, it's it's why we appreciate you, Eric Altman, so much because we understand where you come from because mm -hmm. we've been where you come from. Been you know, there, yeah. we're we're very passionate in in getting answers, and we love to hear everybody's opinions. Mm -hmm. And we're here to build bridges, not burn them. You know, and when bridges burn, we still like both sides. It's like if a couple gets divorced and both of them were really good friends of ours, it's not like we could side with one or the other. You know, right. we still want to side with both without some sort of consequence. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why it's it's good to be radio host because we can get away with doing that. And at the same time, we can really appreciate the value of people who are in it for all the right reasons, who are doing it in all the right ways. And it's it's far from what, you know, people might see on, on TV, you know, or on the Internet with all this fear mongering and fantastical type of stuff. 
you know, because you're real and we, we thank you for that. That's a, you know, we have to honor that. We do. I appreciate mm. it. Yeah. My, my biggest thing is I, I don't, I, I say this to a lot of people I talk to these days is I don't necessarily have to agree with somebody mm-hmm. on their opinion or their theory, but that doesn't mean because I disagree with them doesn't mean I don't like them or, mm. or don't want to try to get along with them or disrespect them. Yeah. And it, it kind of begs the question. I would love to be a fly on that wall, uh, the, the Pittsburgh UFO Bigfoot conference with the chapter of MUFON, um, that had to be an interesting time for you. Uh, because, yeah, you know, you're around a lot of people that will see Bigfoot a lot differently than you do. What was it easy or tough to be there without, you know, uh, putting any specific people under the bus? <laughs> by well, answering that question? It, it had its moments. Um, and one day was specifically geared towards the UFO phenomenon, and another day was specifically geared towards the Bigfoot phenomenon. So although it was the same type of conference where two subjects were discussed, they were discussed on different days. Yeah. And um, I think the, the UFO people who had the interest in UFOs and not in Bigfoot came one day, and those who wanted to hear about Bigfoot came the other day, and those who liked both came both days. So there wasn't any kind of unnecessary drama or any tension or anything like that at the event. Um, cool. I think those people who were involved with the event um, acted professionally and um, respected each other enough that, you know, things weren't blown out of proportion that didn't need to be. And, uh, yeah, it, I think it ran smoothly as smoothly as a, a, an event like that could possibly run. Now, I don't know of any or have heard of any other type of events like that where it's been a Bigfoot and UFO event combined. Right? Yeah, me neither. But, um, I know th- I know paranormal events these days have cryptid lecturers, UFO lecturers, paranormal lecturers all in the same event. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've ever heard of an event where it's been two specific topics, UFOs and Bigfoots combined, and um, especially with the MUFON chapter. Um, so I think that was the first and, and probably only one of its kind. But, but it's great to hear that it went so smoothly. Mm-hmm. Did you guys yeah. have a big turnout for that event? Um, if memory serves me correctly, um, the UFO portion of it was, uh, more of a draw on Saturday than the UFO, uh, Bigfoot portion of it was on Sunday. And I think it's because of the days that they were scheduled mm-hmm. and ten, and people tend to come to events more on Saturday than they do on Sundays. But, um, I think there was a, a decent sized crowd, um, for, you know, the offering and, uh, I don't think anybody was disappointed. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Can- um, I, I want to ask you again about your upcoming podcast, and and again, please keep us in the loop. The, even if, you know, we we can't get you to pop in to promote it. We'll mention it for you because you're a friend of supernatural realm now. You know, okay. and, and we want to see this thing do well for you. And you're talking about having a roundtable with this podcast, you know, rather than having guests and things where you bring topics up. Um, right. For your first podcast, have you mapped out what topic you might discuss and would you want to reveal it here or uh, just entice people to tune in and find out for themselves? Um, I, I haven't really sat down with the other hosts of the podcast, the, the co-hosts, to discuss what topic we're going to discuss. But uh, I know the first hour of each podcast will probably be highlighting a haunted location. We had a very successful element of uh, Beyond the Edge Radio where we had a segment called The Haunted Spotlight where Sean and Marianne Donnelly would come on for about 15 or 20 minutes and talk about a historical location that had paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. And Marianne would discuss um, for about 10 or 15 minutes the, 
the history of the location and some of the players who were involved. And then we'd wrap it up by talking about the paranormal aspect of the location, you know, some of the haunted claims. And I think the first hour, we're going to slow that down a little bit so we can dig more into the history, the people who were involved, the players and that sort of thing. And then have a, the roundtable discussion about the paranormal activity. And then the second hour, we'll pick a topic, whatever comes to mind. Um, I know there's several topics I want to discuss, like the Bridgewater Triangle up in Massachusetts. And I'd like to talk about the Skinwalker Ranch out in mm -hmm. Nevada. Oh, yeah. And some of these locations, like the, the, the Chestnut Ridge in, in southwestern Pennsylvania, some of these areas that seem to um, be a magnet for supernatural activity. Right, yeah. And and a lot of times, and I, I've met a lot of people, again, you've done conventions, I've done conventions, Timmy's done them, we've met a lot of people that were very passionate about, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, uh, like that triangle, you know, uh, written books or done documentaries about it, and it's, yet it's still kind of under the radar, so I'm glad you're bringing up regions like that and talking about them, that's a very cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of players, you know, there was a guy on General Hospital named Sean Donnelly. He was a player, you know. <laughs> he was a ladies' man. I remember him. <laughs> yeah. We actually met him, the actor who played oh, him. Oh, cool. Yeah, we got invited onto the set, you know, on our honeymoon and uh, met him. So you can you can tease Sean Donnelly when you see him on my behalf. You know? Okay. <laughs> hey, Chip, we could even, you know, promote um, his podcast on, on this show and this network as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, well, yeah, you we're, we're family here. Look, you know, we we really respect the fact that there are people out there who are earnest and what they're doing. And we like to highlight people like that because, you know, we, we try to be the same way. You know, if we can't be true to our word or, or keep our integrity uh, in the way that we're trying to represent you know, truths or, uh, you know, make these mysteries a little less mis uh, mysterious yeah. uh, than who are we, right? So, you know, you're part of our family here and, and uh, yeah, we'll make sure that uh, we, uh, we plug it. Yeah, we plug it for you. Well, thank you guys. And thank you, Tim, for uh, um, asking about the commercial spot for the, uh, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot camping adventure a few months ago that I recorded. Thanks for uh, promoting that. I appreciate okay. it. You're welcome. Yeah, any yep. other events that you're you're doing in the future, you know, be sure to send me a, an MP3, and I'll be sure to promote that as well. So. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I, I learned very uh, not not too recently ago. I learned that you know if you try to be something you're not, right, um, you can lose a lot of friends and people can <clears throat> end up hating you. Mm -hmm. So it's best to be yourself yeah. and, and try not to impress people. Try not to to be something that you're not. Just be who you are. And the people who love you will, will flock to you and stay with you, and they'll remain your friends. And the people who don't, that's their problem. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I agree. Yeah. Yep. But they we're passionate in our truth, and people will take yep. it how they take it. You know? Exactly. You know, because it's, it's just, about the message. It's not about, yeah. you know, how people think about us or if we're going to get a TV deal or whatever. Yeah. Love yeah. us or hate us, it's their choice. You know, we're, we're true to ourselves, and if they like us, fine. If not. No, that's their loss. That's their loss, exactly. Yeah. Just be who you are, keep passionate and doing the things that you love to do, and it'll all fall in place. Yeah. Eric, you yeah, have anything else? This year. Yeah. You have anything else to say in closing, Eric, before we uh, run out of time here? No, just thanks for having me on, guys. It was a great discussion with you tonight. I enjoyed the questions, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Chip? 
Yeah, we, we thank you. And, and uh, just, you know, remind us again where people can find you, as, especially if they, you know, have questions that they want someone that is earnest to answer or maybe, you know, for any other reason. Where can people find you? Um, the easiest place to find me is on Facebook. Uh, they just type in Eric H. Altman. Um, I think I'm the only one with that <laughs> that name on Facebook that pops up. But um, you can find me there. You can find me at my outdated website, ericaltman.net, and uh, pabigfootcampingadventure.com. Um, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. All right. Beautiful. Timmy. Yeah, I want to remind the listeners also that um, Thursday, this coming Thursday, uh, June 20th, we have Leon Bibby uh, come on our show as our guest. And then wow. the, the 25th, Preston Dennett uh, is going to be here with us. Yeah. So we, you know, it's and be August time. 15th, Steve Deshavi. Yes. <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Great guests coming uh, in the yeah. next couple months. Thank so. you. That's the magic of Tim Roxbury, man. You know, so a lot to look forward to every Tuesday and Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. right here. WCETFM at late night in the Midlands.com. And uh, we remind you not to touch that dial because coming up next is the great Michael Vera. You know, I don't know if he'll dispute us on that like uh, Eric Altman did. That's <laughs> the great Eric Altman. But Michael Vera is really something special. And Late Night in the Midlands is the best show on radio, you know. And we say that even though we take great pride in Supernatural Realm. And in my show on Mondays here, 7 to 9 p.m., called Kindness Beyond the Veil, where we take a kinder look at the paranormal, supernatural, metaphysical, mystical, and extraterrestrial Um you know, so that's a lot to say about the great Michael Vera and Late Night in the Midlands, which is coming up next. So don't touch that dial. And please, oh, please, like donate. Timmy says, donate to this network. Very easy to do. And be sure to tune in Thursday when we have Leo Mibi right here on the Supernatural Realm on www.latenightinthemidlands.com. Good night, everybody. God bless and uh, have a great Tuesday night. Good night. <laughs>